Hi guys, I'm Bianca, the Ticking Time One, and today we have in the studio Brendan to discuss his free watch collection. Great to have you in the show today, Brendan. Thank you for coming. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me. Always uh, love talking about watches with with people who have the same interest. So before we get into this, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh well, I my name's Brendan, as you mentioned. Um, obviously, my my hobbies uh, include watch watch collecting. I, I work in finance here in Perth. Um, also enjoy traveling and a few other bits and pieces and yeah, kind of average working guy really. So when did you start this um, watch collecting hobby of yours? How did this all come about for you, Brendan? Firstly, I think I can just always remember having watches in my life. Uh, I think I was in primary school when I got my first one. I was maybe grade two or three, something like that. A little tiny Casio digital watch that on the face of it just had the time only. And it had four little buttons on all the, all the corners um, and a really, really, really basic digital watch. When one button showed, had the light, one button showed the date, and one button just showed the seconds of all things and the other button was for setting or something like that. And probably progressed up digital watches up until sort of the later years of high school where I ended up with a, you know, a Casio G-Shop and that sort of got me through you know, the end of high school and through uni and, until I started working. And then when I started working after the Casio G Shop, it doesn't doesn't go well in the office with office gear. So I thought I needed um, something a bit nicer. So that was a, a Seiko um, quartz, you know, analog watch. And then then after that, I thought, no, no, bite the bullet and take the plunge into something a bit nicer, which was a an Omega Seamaster Aquaterra, nice. uh, one of the early coaxial chronometers, and that was my first what I'd say is good watch. I was probably about in my third proper job by then. A couple of years later, um, I was travel doing some traveling through Europe and I was in Lucerne in Switzerland. Um, and I bought a, an Oris Williams F1, uh, which was a cool watch and a lot of, a lot of watch for the money. And I've, I've still got it today. I've still got the Omega as well. So that was sort of my second good watch. And then, um, a bit after that, I was I, I did the very Australian thing of going and living and working overseas. So I lived lived in London and worked for uh, about five years and did a lot of travel while I was over there. But one of my goals was over there was to get one good watch, and that that probably really really kicked off the collecting in a big way when I was in London. Um, so much more access to boutiques and watch brands. Um, you know, just on Bond Street alone, there's more places to buy Rolex than there is in Perth. <laughs> so the, the the amount of boutiques and the number of brands, it was, I was, I was a kid in a lolly shop. I really was. <laughs> Within your watch collecting journey, is there some kind of philosophy that you stick to or have in mind when selecting your pieces? Oh, first and foremost, a pretty simple one. I have to like the watch. And these days I probably have to love it because I've got quite a few, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't get too carried away in 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 hyped watches or all that sort of thing although i've got a few people pieces that i'm sure people would call that and grail watches and whatnot but um but i've also got a few um a few pieces in my collection that i love that people say well don't get those they don't hold their value and i don't care i'm gonna love the watch you know i'm sure uh sure i'm sure john mayer won't like a couple of my watches but that's okay i don't like a couple of his so you know we don't all have to like the same things but First and foremost, A, I have to have to like the watch. B, a bit of a collection. I like a combination. I have some sports watches, some dressy watches, uh, just a varied collection, actually, I like, yeah. 
And was it challenging today to come up with these three out of your long journey of watch collecting? Um, probably not massively challenged. Like, um, they're probably three higher end pieces here and not all of my collection of higher end pieces. Probably five or six pieces jumped out as possibilities and in the end I settled on these three. So it took some thought, but it wasn't massively challenging, to be honest. I know there's going to be some people that say it would be. Uh, I know because some of these people that might do this interview later on, I, <laughs> it's going to be difficult for them. Yeah. Well, let's not wait any longer. Let's have a look what you brought in today. Yeah. Okay. So the first one, I'll start in order of actually getting them. And, okay. and two of them were while I lived in London. Um, so I've had them for a while because I've been back since 2011. So the first one is the Rolex uh, GMT Master 2. For all those interested, I think it's reference 116710. Wow. I remember looking at the Rolex catalogue and thinking, everyone talks about the, the Submariner. And, you know, that, that was the watch at the time. Everyone, Submariner, Submariner, Submariner. Then I looked at Submariner, I looked at GMT, and I thought, it's the same case, it's the same triplock crown, it's the, but it's got an extra function. I thought, how is this not a better watch? Now, this is a watch for me. So this this was what I wanted. So I, I get to London, nearly 2006, sorry, not far from 2007. And there's a few more things on my mind than going out and getting a watch first thing, like getting a job, getting a flat, getting a bank account, all those things, doing your work for a bit and saving some money. But I get all that ticked off. And in 2007, this was released. And it was the first one with a ceramic bezel. And as soon as I saw the pictures of the, the ceramic bezel, I immediately loved it. I, just the gloss, the luster, the it, to me it was so much better than the aluminium ones. I know a lot of people like the 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 the, the way the the aluminium patinas and all that, but I just loved the the gloss, the shine, and whatever of the of this ceramic. And I thought it looked a million bucks. So I get to the time where I'm ready to pull the trigger. I've saved up. I've got the money. Go to all the Rolex boutiques in London, and there's plenty of them. Did not see one. Wow. And I was like, bloody hell, can I order one? Can I put my name down? No. <laughs> Flat no from everyone. Not one person even took my name for an expression of interest or an order. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's not great. And I was telling the story to a friend of mine, um, and he was saying, I'll call the, call the, um, the watch boutique at Geneva Airport. They take orders. I was really? Okay, great. So the next day, I called them up, and they went, yeah, sure, we'll take an order. And I took my name, took contact details. Not a problem. About three months later, I get a call back from them. Your watch is in. Best day of your life. It was at the time. <laughs> it was. So your watch is in. Uh, so I jumped on a plane, uh, flew over to Geneva Airport, picked it up, turned around and came back. Didn't even get out of the airport. <laughs> I went straight back to London. <laughs> yes, that's the story of how I got my, what was only going, what was at the time going to be my, my one good watch. Well, it's very special, this one. So that's uh, so that's the first one I've I've picked out. Now, just looking at the face on your next one, it's quite peculiar. It is. So, the American twenty-one, Vacheron Constantin, another elegant watch. Mm. It's part of the Vacheron um, Historics collection. It's it's a remake of a you know a vintage timepiece from the. 1921 uh, just for the US market um, but I actually think there's a little bit more to that story than than people realise 
the first iteration of this being the original one was actually, I think, 1919. Wow. Um, and it had the, had the crown instead of at the one o'clock, it had the crown at 11. So it was the other way around. And it had a very similar dial to this. And I think they only made about 10 or 12 pieces just for New York. Um, and then they did make it a little bit later for some other other regions because they requested them. That so was very popular watch. And then in 1921, they made, I think, 12 pieces of these, um, again, for the US market, but they had the crown on this side. So the... And, and, and a different dial. So the in SIHH 2009, this was re-released as, you know, as one of the historic pieces. But it was actually a little bit of a combination of the watch from 1919 and 1921. It's got, I think, the, the case and crown from one year and sort of the dial more from the other, other year as well. So it's actually a bit of a combination of the two. But I didn't particularly know um, this watch's existence until probably the end of uh, 2009 um, where Harrods of all places were having a bit of a watch event where all the you know, big name watch brands had were showing their new releases and but they didn't have one of these here because they just didn't have one available um, and it was great it was cocktails and food and it handled all the new watches it was brilliant but they also had a door prize at the end of it no it wasn't this <laughs> would have been one Great, amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, but it wasn't this. But they, they, the, the idea was, yeah, most people there had lots of purchase history at Harrods, had plenty of money, good jobs, they all had business cards. But I didn't have a business card. I just did contract work around, so I never got business cards. And the staff there were, oh, bollocks to that. Well, you're in the, you're going in the draw. <laughs> so what they did, they got one of their their little cards that they just normally fill out clients' name and contact numbers when they had to call people back, and they're roughly business cards. Um, business card sort of size and shape, but they're fractionally bigger. So I had I had a slightly bigger advantage. Oh. And sure enough, my name got called out. Oh, wow. Incredible. So the prize was to go and visit the Vachon factory. It was probably January or March. They did exactly that. They contacted me. We organised the trip. And I said, oh, we notice you don't live close to an airport. Well, you know, who does? <laughs> um, so we'll organise a car for you. So the day we do it, is, is, it was a Friday. And I think it was probably late Feb, early March. So it was still snowing in Switzerland and stuff like that. Um, they sent a car around to my flat. A Mercedes S600L long wheel base. Chauffeur, the cap, the gloves, the whole works. <laughs> wow. Yeah, whole works. To uh, to go to, um, they t- uh, to, to drive me to the city airport. Um, and there was a guy from Harrods who came along and someone from Vacheron who was based in London came out on the trip. So there was three of us. So we all fly to um, uh, to Geneva, mm-hmm. um, where we uh, get picked up again in, a, in another quite nice car, a Mercedes E500 this time it was. And we go to their three venues, and we got to meet a lot of the staff and had a had a had a chat with some of them. And what I remember about that is how happy people were to work there. Everyone seemed to love their job. And I was having a, a good chat with one of the one of the guys who works there. His job was to polish all the parts, and he was showing me like a, a tourbillon bar that goes across the cage of the of the tourbillons in Vacherons. How he 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 cut it using the the machines, and then he polished it by hand. And I could I got to see a, a cut one under under a loop or a, a telescope or something, 
and then a polished one. He could see the difference was my God. And he was like, oh, I did that. <laughs> he, was, he was so proud of himself. He was like, yeah, I did that. That's my way. I did that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was great fun. And after that, we went to their main premises in Geneva. So they're, they're quite modern looking building that's shaped like the Maltese cross, like their logo. And again, we had a tour of that facility um, where this is where they put all the movements together. They, you know, polish and engrave or, and, you know, enamel dials and cases and all that sort of stuff. And we had to go at some of the machinery and my God, is it hard to do? <laughs> I think if they show if we showed any promise, they might've offered us a job, but it wouldn't they quit your day job. I was like, yeah, no good at this at all. And it was so, so you get an idea of how, when people say it takes 10 hours of work to do on this, you know, how hard and how skilled that person is. And about three months after this, Harrods get this in. And I get a phone call from my contact there because every salesman wants to sell it because every one of their clients wanted it. And the boss decided that because basically because I had had gone on this trip that I would have first option on the watch. So I went in, had a look. Um, I could have said no if I wanted it because they just sold it to anyone else. But I took one look at it and I thought, oh, God, is that, is that gorgeous? <laughs> and I just knew that if I didn't, get it i would probably regret it for the rest of my life and it, for the rest of my life and it, and it wasn't cheap it was pretty pricey but i could just manage it so two or three cards later <laughs> here it is and i'm and i'm very very glad i got it yeah it takes watch collecting to another level when you yeah, yeah. are able to go and see you know, how it's made or yeah, where yeah. it's from the appreciation for the craftsmanship is yeah. something else beautiful story yeah so i so i i'm not um one of those people that can go out and buy Vacherons and AP, APs and Protects and all that. So Vacheron's a bit more personal to me, so that'll be my one top brand that I'll probably ever own, to be honest. And I can see we have the last, is Amiga? This is an Amiga. Um, so this um, is the Omega Snoopy. So the 50th anniversary Snoopy, so the third of the... Um, of the Snoopies, the third and current model. Oh, it's just gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, it, the, the blue and, and the silver is just a, a great uh, colour combination. So if it was just a stock standard Speedmaster in that colour, it would be um, still the best one. But obviously with the Snoopy, with the yeah, the graphic on the back, um, that's the, the earth amazing. spinning. Um, so when a watch is wound... The earth just rotates with uh, the movement of the seconds hands. But when you start the chronograph function, wait a few seconds and you'll see um, Snoopy go for a little ride in his rocket. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's something else. I know. It's great. I mean, yeah, you hand this to oh, someone. Mama. You hand this to someone who knows what it is and they go, mm. yeah, nice, great. <laughs> And straight to the back, and you go, I want to see Snoopy, I want to see Snoopy. And there, there you go. And when you Incredible. stop the chronograph, Snoopy will stop. Yeah. And then when you reset it, he'll snap back with a reset oh. to behind the moon. Um, yeah, so they, these are these are um, pretty um, difficult to get. Oh, shit. Well, look, if you want to. Yeah, please. They don't make too many of them. They're limited production, not limited edition. Um, but this is proof. I got this from an Omega dealer, and this is proof that if you organise, or if you are, if you have a good um, relationship with them, and you're patient, 
and you get to know the staff and they get to know you a bit and they A, get to know that you're not a flipper that flips all these pieces, you are actually a chance of getting some, a chance of getting some of these more difficult pieces. Just casually one day, oh, you know, if a Snoopy ever comes in and you're looking for a good home for it, you know, remember me? And, and, and over, over the period of probably a good couple of years, keep just little, you know, talking about it. Sometimes I call in on a, on a Sunday after I go out for breakfast and I say, anything new? And they say, no. And I say, not even a Snoopy, you know, something. <laughs> and they have a laugh. So I remember getting it. I, it was, yeah, it was again a, a Sunday morning and I'd just gone in to, to have, say hello to the, the, the contacts that I know there. And the manager said, oh, if I was to offer you something around X price, and she got the price wrong, um, would you be in, put a, be in a position to get it if you wanted it? And for once I had some money, I didn't have to save up. For once I had some money, it was great. Um, um, and, and I said, yeah, I could. So she said to the sales girl, well, go on, get it. And she came out with a Snoopy. I was like, I, I could not believe that she came out with that. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I do want it. Yeah, I'll take it. Thank you very much. <laughs> take yeah. my money. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, it was, um, a big, a big surprise to, to get it, to be honest. It's one of those things you, you, you always hope to get, but probably never think that you will. And then when you do, it's like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, and it's as it's, it's nice. I mean, that was the first Snoopy I've ever seen in the flesh. Yeah. Um, to that, to, up until then, it was a unicorn. I'd only ever seen pictures of it. I knew what it looked like, but I'd never seen one that didn't exist, you know. And and yeah, it was everything I'd hoped it would be. So it was great. You have amazing stories behind these watches in front of us today. Thank you yeah. for sharing with us. Yeah, welcome. As I say, I happy to talk about watches with uh, with people who have same interest. And what does the future hold now? Is there a Certain piece you're eyeing off? Yeah, there's a piece I'm eyeing off. It's going to be as difficult as, as any of these to get, I think. It's it's the, the Rolex um, Yacht Master in titanium. Uh, that's that's going to be difficult because uh, they're not making many of those. But, yeah, again, just the pictures of that, the, the sort of the gunmetal grave, the titanium, I like the, you know, the matte black, the oversized hands and our markers and the matte black bezel with the, the gloss um, numbers around it is... A, Funny thing, it looks like a tank, it looks like a beast, but it's not going to feel like one because titanium is going to be like light as a feather. So it's going to be a very strange sensation to pick it up, I think. But that's that's the next one, I think. Um, and I wouldn't mind an overseas in one of these as well. Overseas in the Vacheron. We do have to wrap things up for now. Yeah. Yep. Time is escaping us, so, as I say. So it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. to have you on the show today. Thank you for sharing watches and the stories behind them. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, my pleasure. Can I offer you a glass of whiskey? You can. That'll be nice. And thank you for watching, guys. And if you enjoyed this video, check out our other content and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on the next rewatch collection.